Welcome to the Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes, 45 for patrons of News of the Day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Our top story, protests sweep Europe over new vaccine rules and American politicians and companies are claiming it's a success for vaccine mandates. Let me fill you in. French, the French government said they would require virus virus passes, I guess, vaccine passes. I think some of them include that if you've already had it, like England has some provisions for that. Uh, Also, vaccine mandates for uh, workers. And the reaction has been overwhelmingly negative. Of course, how they presented in the news, it says some 160,000 people, including far right activists and the Yellow Vest Movement, which is the protesters from the day, protested Saturday against a bill requiring everyone to have a special virus pass to enter restaurants and mandating COVID-19 vaccinations for all healthcare workers. There are similar protests I noticed in Italy, Athens, Greece, Germany had that too. And then they had those torrential rains and floods that they've never seen before. I totally think that's related. And then you can see the like mirror image of that coming out of New York, for example, where the city has mandated weekly testing for all unvaccinated municipal workers. And of course, the New York Times says that the healthcare organizations are begging that the healthcare workers have mandated vaccinations, which is absolutely like that, a lot. I have talked to nurses and people in that industry who were literally like, I cannot afford to lose my job. I am getting the vaccination, even though I don't want to. Like terrorized people are feeling compelled out of economic necessity to get the vaccination. Is it called the virus pass? They, they are calling it a virus pass, which means to me that they must be included. I know in England, at least for now, they have some provisions for people who have already had it. Like they are considered inoculated or immune to it. So that could be why they don't just call it a vaccine pass. But I didn't I didn't see that specifically, but that's what I assumed that meant. But for me, they, so I was thinking They're acting like it's unvaccinated people, but they're being very squirrely with the stats. And I just did like back the envelope math that it said 50 percent of the people in the country are unvaccinated. Sixty six percent of the people have gotten one shot. So that means that of people who are considered unvaccinated, about a third of them have gotten one shot, but they don't break that out. I did. So I couldn't really verify what the real stats are, but I found from Public Health England. So that's their, I guess, national health associated with their national health program, a study from June 25th. 2021. So one month ago, it I, I excerpted some of the material and you can I, I've linked it into the show notes. And I mean, it's a many it's dozens of pages long, but there's one table, table four. I pulled some data out of they're talking about Delta variant, which I find, I, I think that's I'm skeptical about how specific a variant like that is anyway it's very misleading to name it with the greek letters like that it should really just be like b.1 whatever all right so they said that they uh there were 92,000 cases delta cases total that's what this is saying after the first of that 92,000 uh 7% 
or 6,000, occurred within 21 days of the first shot. So within, so 7%. After 21 days of the first shot, there were 15% more. So that's like 20 plus percent of people who got the first shot. Fully vaccinated people accounted for 8%. And then unvaccinated people were 58% of that number. So vaccinated people were 42% of the Delta cases. 42% were vaccinated. That's almost half. Then uh, the, and actually now that I look at it, yeah, okay, so a half are vaccinated people. Then if you go down to the deaths, 62% of the deaths were among vaccinated people. So of COVID deaths, and the vaccine is only supposed to prevent death. It's not supposed to prevent transmission or anything. So like they say you're you're being irresponsible. Vaccines are not, these vaccines do not prevent the spread. So the majority of deaths and Uh, a large minority of cases were among vaccinated people. And those are the kind of stats I would like to see regularly presented. That's interesting because this comes on the heels of Biden's town hall with CNN last week, where he said multiple times that if you get the vaccine, if you just get the shot, you're not going to get sick. You're not going to die. At one point, he said something like out of 10,000 people who died 9,950 of them were unvaccinated. And then he says, you're not going to die if you get vaccinated. So he actually had just told you that 50 people had died who were vaccinated. (laughs) But CNN and all the fact checkers actually fact checked him on that. But he seemed to kind of very intentionally kept saying, if you get the shot, you're not going to die. And then we see all this kind of news coming out to obviously contradict that. It's kind of strange what's going on in the reporting of this. This was out of England, and actually the way I found it was a debunk. So (laughs) the way I found, because I was like throwing in there, um, you know, vaccinated versus unvaccinated deaths. I just wanted to see that. And this was a Reuters article. It said, fact check, uh, public health of England, COVID fact check data shows COVID-19 vaccines have saved thousands of lives, contrary to claims that have taken the report out of context. So then I had to find the report and 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 they did their typical thing where they the way the people had crunched the numbers, it said you are like 700 it's 700 percent higher likelihood that you're going to die if you got the vaccine. Like that's not really like the most incontroversial way, uncontroversial way to report those numbers. So I just like went to the raw data and I'm just telling you that of 109 or 117 deaths, only 44 of them were unvaccinated people. That's what I'm saying. And it's, and yeah, it's interesting that you can find facts within those debunks, but just the way that they try to spin them to debunk something, it actually leads you to finding out the truth about something sometimes. Yeah, I am amazed that this information was out there. Like, I am amazed and I, I'd be surprised if they report it any further. I mean, that's the kind of granular data that you want so that you can actually pull out the, you know, from the propaganda, the actual facts. They're, they're spinning and abusing these facts more than the other person was. But now I, I'm just here to tell you that of 117 deaths, 44 were unvaccinated. Well, only. 
That would make sense to me that some of this stuff is coming out now because of the way that they seem to be just kind of blatantly lying with a lot of information in the media right now or reporting things that are just completely unverified. And one of the types of angles that they've been reporting a lot in the past week has been this whole regretful anti-vaxxer on their deathbed. I saw that. Yes. And one of them. There's another last week, but one of them today is about this hospitalized radio host named Phil Valentine, who is very sick with COVID-19. This is what his brother says. He was an outspoken vaccine skeptic on a radio station in Nashville, and he's in critical condition Sunday. And all of this stuff is coming from his brother talking about him, saying that he's regretful, saying that he tried remdesivir. He tried being flipped on his stomach so that fluids could settle to uh, open up. A spot open up some uh, oxygen in his lungs and he he said that when he gets the opportunity this is his brother speaking for him when he gets the opportunity to tell the world his message will be to get the vaccine period that's what his brother told him <laughs> while he's on his deathbed apparently this comes on the heels of this story i brought last week and if you want to hear the full details of it you can listen to friday's show but it was uh just to update thursday. you quickly yeah, or, yeah thursday it was this story that was being widely reported about this Alabama doctor who posted this viral Facebook post. So the story was about a viral Facebook post and not actually verifying what the viral Facebook post said. This is how they got around telling the truth. But the viral Facebook post, the Alabama doctor said that she had been admitting lots of young people who right before she was intubating them were begging her for the vaccine and then when they died, her parents would say, we thought that it was a hoax. We thought that it was the flu. Everything a Trump supporter would say. And then they said, and she would say, now go get your vaccine so you don't die also. And then she would hug them and they would thank her. And I said she should be investigated for intubating young people if any of this were true. But it seems to clearly not be true. Yet Jake Tapper and others continued to report this story as though it were true. And they would say, there's even been stories about people begging for the vaccine with their last gas and it's being exaggerated. There's being no fact, fact-based reporting in this. So the fact that they're lying about all this stuff tells me that the stuff that you are revealing here, the statistics are countering the narrative that they want to push out there. Yeah, and it doesn't surprise me that this is coming out of Tennessee because Tennessee is supposed to be like one of those meccas. I guess Ben Shapiro moved there. And these it looks to me like podcasters like are the Pied Pipers of bringing all their their hordes of even if it's like, you know, I think. I, I don't listen to Ben Shapiro, so I can't really opine on him, but I believe he's one of those people that kind of appeals to the more fiscally conservative or libertarian minded conservative and then just throws in there some warmongering just so nobody gets too far off the reservation. Like Joe Rogan gets everybody on on board and then says, oh, you can trust me. And I now realize the moon landing is real. So when those guys bring their hordes and advertise widely that I found the place to live, that then makes that place a target for, see, all those, you know, Tennessee is full of nuts jobs, yada, yada. I just I feel like Tennessee is a target. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop on Florida. DeSantis being completely in on that Surfside condo thing, or I should say, like like a parroting the narrative without criticism at all, like he just went along with it. So I don't trust that guy at all either. Yeah, that's interesting that they move the big character there and then that does become a target. I hadn't thought about that with Tennessee like they did it with Texas. 
There's been a, speaking of the culture war, which all of this is about culture war, it really is. I even heard a podcaster, one of the guys who was the Obama speechwriter guys, the Pod Save America bros, talking about how, yeah, we want to turn this into the culture war. We want this to be the culture war, talking about the vaccine stuff. And he's like, let's make it the culture war, baby, and let's win the culture war. So there's an obvious attempt to do this, to make this the culture war, which means they're trying to avoid fact-based arguments. The Cleveland Indians officially changed their name. Did you hear oh, this? No, I didn't. It's the Cleveland Guardians is the new name. The Cleveland might as well be the Cleveland Pantyhose, in my opinion. I think this is going to affect the team, the, the the fans. I think that their attendance will drop. I think that their support will drop because it dawned on me when I heard that. I don't really care about the name. Maybe they have uh, some reason for naming naming it the Guardians. It's related to the city. I'm not sure. But just the fact that they changed it, people were less Cleveland fans than they were Indians fans. I'm an Indians fan. I'm a Braves fan. And when it's now the Guardians to say I'm a Guardians fan, it's not gonna, really not going to hit for the long-term yeah. fans. And I think they're going to have to get new, more woke audience bases to support the game, I think it's really going to affect attendance and probably the sport overall. And if it happens to the Braves, I think it will definitely affect the Braves. I think the Braves' attendance and their support will drop if they switch their names to something like the the Guardians. Hopefully not. So hopefully something a little bit better than that. But I wonder how these name changes will ultimately affect the support in athletics and other other arenas. But I think that is definitely a spot that the culture war can pull it left by changing the names to more left favorite. Team team names, and I also wonder what they're going to do about Hollywood movies, the movies that Hollywood was based on, which demonized Indians. Every old West movie, an Indian. Sometimes yeah. they were good, but quite often the Indians were the villain to the cowboys, cowboys and Indians. Are we going to have to change everything retroactively in Hollywood? Well, I think they probably just won't. Uh, they won't be available for streaming. Every once in a while, I find an old movie I really like, and it's just unavailable for streaming, which is means it's basically unavailable. I, I don't even know if I have a DVD player anymore. So if they don't have it out there, you're probably not going to get it, or they charge too much for it or whatever. But I, I have an observation about that name change that's consistent with what I think is going on behind the transformation of sports. So sports was a proxy for war. War was the fundamental premise on which society was based, on which they got the loyalty to the state from the people. If you read a report from Iron Mountain, they were looking for a substitute for war because nuclear weapons made like real just hand-to-hand combat on the border skirmishes and stuff that gave you a national feeling. Look to your king or your president or whatever. That was uh, less effective, less powerful. People start start losing their loyalty to the government. So I noticed as they started and this started with the NFL, like they were losing ratings like they who would ever do that? Obviously, I feel like they were serving a higher purpose, not just like dollars and cents at the bottom line. And I continue to see that as you have like transgender athletes at the kid school level, as you have um uh, people missing the game because of positive COVID tests as you have fans not in there as you like cancel entire seasons. And I realized that that war model is no longer important. So Cowboys and Indians, Braves, Warriors, all that kind of stuff is 
uh, is going to recede. And then you have, what do you have? You have the safety state. You have the guardians. You have, please save me from these diseases. You have this idea that you need to look to the state for protection. And sports, I think, will recede in their importance because they are the perfect, like, us versus them model and maybe you start going to like figure skating instead of hockey you know like they start doing sports like that or like that compete against yourself personal best kind of thing and that this stuff and so it makes sense to me that they're moving away from things that would feel adversarial and warlike and more towards the if it isn't for the government we are gonna all cook in climate change and die of these trillions of invisible monsters trying to kill us all i can see it being part of that yeah that's interesting they could start having more feminine type Team names. Well, I don't think it's feminine. I mean, you can have warrior goddesses. Like, I don't think Guardians is necessarily a feminine. Like, Guardian Angel is a guy. Like, I don't. I don't think it's feminine. I think it's. It is. It is protective. Rather, I was than... teasing to a later story a little bit there. Maybe. Oh, maybe, okay. The, the motherly right. idea that you kind of put out right there. I think that more types of motherly type team names maybe a better way to put it. Maybe. Well, I would. I would give you that. Like the nanny state or the. Um, paternalism like a protective role coming from the like the archetype of your system for sure yeah uh, I could see them recutting old Western movies to recontextualize the film, making maybe making it more even or making the white guy as the 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 bigoted villain in some cases. Maybe or maybe they just remake them all. They love to do that. That's true. Yeah. Reboot them. <laughs> But as as like the what you see is not what you get thing. Actually, uh, one thing that so you probably know about this. Maybe we should save it for another time because I don't know enough about it. But that the well, let's save it uh, to the extent people know about the neo reactionary. Have you heard the term neo reactionary? I don't think so. No, me neither. I hadn't heard it before, but I think it gives some insight into the culture war. So let me do a little homework on that and I'll bring it. But uh, another thing that I I noticed in the news today, it was more like uh, supports the idea that although they act like they're trying to do us a favor, they want to protect us. They want to be this paternal, maternal state. The underlying motive is often self-serving. And I hate to like point to the profit motive as being bad. It's totally not bad. But when you want to co-opt a government that is supposed to be by and of the people and not just ours, but that is how government is sold. The consent of the governed is required. They, you think it's them, especially in the like neoliberal age. So in England, they think their government is there for them. They really believe it, like even more than we do. Like they believe that it is there to protect them. So there was an article today that uh, Philip Morris wants cigarettes banned in England. I mean, that seems weird, right? Because they're a cigarette company. But it flew up a flag for me because I remember when I remember reading a story years ago that uh, Marlboro, which I think is Philip Morris, they lobbied to ban cigarette advertising in the 70s. And it was because they had such market share that they could lock that in. If no, What if somebody else came up with a great ad campaign? It could encroach on their market share. But if they could just lock it in, I mean, marketing and advertising is so powerful. So I remember reading that they had done that. And this, I, I, I read on and did a little research because I thought, well, Philip Morris, it said Philip Morris actually wants to exit cigarettes in England themselves over the, over the next 10 years. So I believe that the reason they want to do that is that 
e-cigarettes and vaping and all that kind of stuff is much more profitable. It's much higher tech and it's probably harder to enter. Maybe it's got more regulatory barriers. They just bought an asthma inhaler company. Like that's kind of weird. And then, uh, but why would they want to ban it? They want to ban it so that when they stop selling cigarettes there, other cigarette companies can't absorb their market share. And I'm sure they feel poised to ca- to capture even more market share in this more highly profitable thing. And if they succeed in getting the government to ban their uh, to ban cigarettes, obviously, they are probably ahead of the game on the regulatory strategy as well. Yeah, and they can afford to get into those other markets around the, the regulatory effort. Maybe the right, companies and then- can't. All, ha- all they have to do is outweigh the other companies to like go under or not be already. See, if they're way ahead of the game with e- e-cigarettes, for example, and regular cigarettes get banned, the other guys will just go under. It's really suspicious when a company is trying to ban the primary way or one of the primary ways it profits in an entire country. It's right. really suspicious there. And they actually couch it in terms of like cigarettes are bad and we don't want anyone to smoke ever. But if you really can't kick the habit, we're going to. Oh, they're there for you. They're there for you in case you can't kick the habit that they helped create within you. Yes. And I have to say, I read a great book, one of the best books I've ever read in my life, The Easy Way to Stop Smoking by Alan Carr. And he talked about big tobacco the way Massimo Matsuko talked about big pharma. And we can see how it works with big pharma. They really do have this outsized power and they go for a lot of profit that I just didn't think of it as being behind the scenes sinister. But now you see how they really operate. I, didn't, I never minded big tobacco because it's your own fault if you smoke. But to do it like this, like they are obviously they use these like we need to help you campaigns to promote their own excess profitability and to to circumvent their competition by leveraging off the government, which I completely object to. Totally. Just like Edward Bernays working with those tobacco companies to liberate women, to give them freedom. They're trying to help them out. Chris Rock nailed it with the pharmaceutical thing a long time ago in one of his specials when he said, there is no money in the cure. He did a joke that hits that point. Right. And it's certainly there's no money in natural cures or prevention. There's really no money in just people being healthy. That is for absolute sure. So uh, before we get to the last big story of the Free 30, which is about Kamala Harris, the highest ranking mom ever in U.S. (laughs) politics. Uh, Binkley's going to tell us why that matters. I'm already scratching my head, to be honest with you. And in the, I do want to tell you also what we're going to be talking about in Patreon 15, just a sampling, because we have a lot in there. Was the polio epidemic all it's cracked up to be? And I'll tell you about my experience at Freedom Fest. And of course, a big thanks to the shout to the sponsor of today's show. It is Rye Guys. They have a promotion code Prop Ten, if I'm not mistaken. And we always love the commercials, so instead of just shouting them out, let's just hear what they have to say. Do you love freedom? Does the daily news leave you shaking your head? Does mindless conformity give you the heebie-jeebies? Are you surrounded by people who just don't get it? Are you right now wearing clothes? You over there, yes, you. Do you like cool clothes? Well, meet the Rye Guys, makers of fun, freedom-loving t-shirts and more, quality products for independent thinkers and other such troublemakers. We make each of our handcrafted tees with equal parts satire, mischief, and Rye social commentary. Put on one of our tees and you'll meet kindred spirits, share a laugh, and enjoy great 
great conversation. Take off one of our tees and, well, we're not here to judge you. We support liberty, peace, and voluntary solutions to societal ills. And you have our word, our products are never tested on animals other than sacred cows. So stop by today at www.ryguys.com. That's W-R-Y-G-U-Y-S.com. Ryguys.com. The Rye Guys. A rye wit for today's shit. I love that one. So please do at least noodle around on that website because it's very funny. And I really like it. He puts a lot of effort into it. He's a real a liberty-loving activist. Uh, I like him a lot. And he supports us. That's mainly why he's here, I think. And we would like to support him. And if you also want to support us, just so you know, most of what we put out is free and we like it that way because we want to spread the word we're really getting uh really getting the message out and we offer a lot of extra content for people who want more commercial free content um live streams extra interviews we have i believe in the two years we've been doing this even if we've taken off we've never missed a day of putting at least something in the free feed and something in the patron feed so i looked the other day and like we had something like uh, almost 800 uploads on our lips and feet. So obviously yeah. we're, it's like basically every single solitary day on average. So we have a lot of that. And if you want the extra content, if that, if, if you can really absorb all that content, then please join us on Patreon, patreon.com slash propaganda report, uh, or rockfin.com slash propaganda report for the deep dive videos. But if you don't need the extra content, please also support us anyway, or join it, even if you can't listen to it all. But that extra support goes along long way in keeping most of this free. So you can do that by going to thepropreport.com. There's a donate button. We do a lot of stuff for, like we have that weekly update with Garland, which people like that's free. There's a lot of free stuff out there that we do appreciate um, some support for. So please check us out at thepropreport.com and uh, click that donate button if you are so inclined. And with that... On to the last story of the Free 30. Okay, this story was featured on Twitter. You know how they have the little news section and they'll have that featured story, which sometimes you can't even click on anything. You have to go find where the article was from. This article was from the San Francisco Chronicle. And it's a little bit befuddling if you know anything about Kamala Harris, about her family. Because the headline is, Kamala Harris is the highest ranking mom ever in U.S. politics. Here's why that matters. Hold on. Oh, because she was actually VP. Because Sarah Palin was a mom and a half, and but she only ran for VP. Yeah, right. At first, I kind of read it as there's a ranking system for moms and politics. <laughs> and then I realized, oh, <laughs> she has been elected with Biden. <laughs> therefore, she is yeah. the, has the highest That's office funny. that a someone who is considered a mom has ever had. <laughs> Although, and not to take anything away from stepmothers. I'm not trying to take anything away from stepmothers. But what I'm saying is, this is an article that is using Mamala Harris, which she is affectionately called, the article says, is Mamala Harris, using her motherly experiences as reason for her credibility. She became a mother when she, when the, the stepchildren, so she married her husband in 2014. At that time, her stepchildren were ages 20 and 15. <laughs> 
So okay. it's a bit she of a stretch. The, she missed the hard part. Right. Yes. That's 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 what I was uh, I was thinking. She probably missed some of the more difficult ex- life experiences of raising a child. Not to take anything away from stepmothers, because some stepmothers do experience that oh, full yeah. uh, uh, motherhood. But Kamala here, this just seems like they're trying to kind of uh, uh, you know pull one pull one over on us a little bit. But do you have any idea what angle this story might be going for? Could you at all? All I can think of is I have had this idea that we are going to tap into the Oedipal thing and Biden's going to go dad, doddering old dad, blind dad is going to go and we're going to get Mama Kamala as our black queen, which has also some symbolic significance, although I don't get it. But, you know, maybe like the Matrix, you have the Oracle, like there are all these like really maternal mother earthy black women archetypes that um, I feel like they want to tap into with her. I think that that is part of it. Mm -hmm. This story here is using Kamala and her motherhood to promote infrastructure, human infrastructure specifically, because it definitely talks about how infrastructure is not just the roads anymore. It's actually child care. It's raising children as a single mother struggling to work and raise kids. It goes on to talk about how Kamala, she's doing this tour where she's talking to people about how her mom struggled. She was divorced, a single mom struggling to raise two kids while also pursuing her dreams and how Kamala is in a similar position as her mother was being a mom of two who is struggling to balance her work. (laughs) Isn't she a doctor? Yeah, her work family life. And they give an example of there was that time in 2018 when there was a conflict when Kamala had a congressional hearing in the Senate at the same time that her 18-year-old daughter had a graduation. Look at the, the, the struggles she goes through being a single mother. So she, more than anybody, not a single mother, being a a mother of two children trying to have a work career also. Look at what she's gone through. What she brings to the White House is she brings a motherly experience to the White House, and she has been at the forefront, experts say, unnamed experts say, of putting policy, building it around motherhood. And that is internally and externally in this infrastructure package. So they are saying that Kamala is bringing motherly attention and focus to policy making specifically with this infrastructure plan this goes to cradle to career to give us your children because if you give us your children right when they're born we're no longer a authoritarian fatherly like strict government that's going to be coldly raising your children we are a motherly government that is going to <laughs> nurture your children so you can trust us with them and that that links to what you're saying mama kamala is going to nurture your children so hand them on over that that is interesting. And it, it's annoying to me because the policies that they've put in place since the very beginning, especially targeting minorities, but in addition, just your regular middle class household. So if like that, as they started doing welfare and one of the things about welfare that's always been criticized by anyone who's thinking is that but a single family, home, a single parent home gets more welfare. So it motivates people to break up. So the divorce rate among black families was much lower than among white families back in the day. It was like practically non-existent. And then when that welfare thing came through at the same time that you have other policies, the way public schools in the inner city are less good, don't teach English properly, or they promote the drug war, which diverts people who aren't great at English to entrepreneurship that doesn't require it, that kind of 
thing. A lot of policies went into effect that attack minorities, but also the middle class has this motive. I don't, I, you know, it's hard to really on the margin. If you, it depends on how much you weigh being a mother to your children, like an in-person mother to your children, but the math is pretty marginal. So they now have women and men in the workplace by in droves. I think women may even outnumber men in the workplace by now. So if you do have a two parent family, you're paying a higher tax bracket, a lot more taxes, and then you're outsourcing the household activities, which, yes, if you put all the kids, 20 kids into daycare, it isn't as it is more like cost effective. If you're going to say like 20 kids to one uh, adult or uh, seven kids to one adult, that's more, quote, cost effective. So, yes, you're going to get that little bit of extra money. But if you think about what you're not doing at home, if you weigh that at something other than what a so your daycare worker maybe makes $15 an hour, but for you to parent your kids, maybe even homeschool them has a tremendous value that you could quantify if you thought real hard about it. But these policies, so you're right, they get you to have the kids. They're actually giving child credits and stuff. They want you to have the kids, but then they want to get them away from you. But I also think that we're going to have a massive population crash because I do believe that the vaccines and maybe even COVID itself have a real impairment on reproductivity. It could be. I want to give you one line they give that kind of sums up the way that they are framing this issue. Kamala has brought this concept that motherhood is not just an individual challenge. It's a societal one that needs and deserves an infrastructure around it to succeed. Do you remember that woman? Uh, She was I know she had a talk show. She I think I remember people made fun of her because like it was I think it was like a several black women together on this talk show. And once one of their episodes was called The Politics of Black Hair <laughs> and the whole episode was about black that. hair. I and that, I found that really that. annoying because I've always had terrible hair. And to like teach young girls that that they're the problems they have with their hair or their self-esteem or their self-image aren't just rites of passage as an adolescent, but are imposed upon you externally by a racist society. Like it really is disempowering because what you actually have to do is just find, figure out how to do your hair. (laughs) Like, you know, that will make you happier in the long run than being angry at the world for not loving your hair. (laughs) But this, but one of those hostesses, had a commercial that was really people react. It was pull. I, I don't think we ever saw it again after this, but it was about, I think she said something almost verbatim to the effect of children aren't yours. Your children aren't yours. They're all of ours. Like it is the state's responsibility to raise your children. They belong to us. That's what she said. They belong to us. And that is how that is that mentality that, and that is like straight out of, communism and and like plato even with the idea that you can talk about created persons he would want to harvest the people out of the home early on and decide where they went so that it's just a ideological difference from anything i ever want to live through but pretty much everything that's happening now is different from anything i want to live through yeah right So, uh, yeah, so it is good to be back. I will tell you a little bit about my experience. Welcome back, by the way. At Freedom Fest, thank you very much. Big shout out to those guys. It's actually the... one of the coordinators, administrator, was a fan and his wife, where she also works there, were fans of the show in Atlanta. And that's how they... And I, and I, I said to him when I was there, it's like, 
because it's a little more conservative than, I mean, you know, everybody wasn't just hardcore pot smoking anarchists. It was a conference. It was not a festival. Like, start with that. And, and that's not a fair characterization. I think the majority of anarchists I know are not hardcore pot smokers. But anyway, so I just said, like, do you think these people realize, like, that I'm in a rabbit hole inside the rabbit hole where they are just like, oh, yeah, I mean, these these guys are 100 percent happy that you're here. Like, there's no 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 surprises. I didn't go out on a limb. I was like, OK. But anyway, so I have some observations I'll tell you about after the break and on to the patron 15. Awesome. You guys can find your drive time news blast every weekday afternoon at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform with the Propaganda Report podcast feed. If you want access to the extra content that we post every time we post a DNB, go to patreon.com slash propaganda report and sign up there. We will talk to y'all tomorrow or in the Patreon 15. Have a fantastic rest of your day.